0: You're listening to the Whole Hog Football Podcast, sponsored by Kendall King, bringing you the latest news, position analysis, and more. Here's your hosts, Matt Jones, with Andrew Joseph and Scotty Bordelon. Regular season's over. Arkansas finishes with a 6-6 six and six record, now... Just in wait and see mode. Where will the Razorbacks go to a bowl game? We'll discuss that today. Give you kind of our thoughts, uh, our analysis on where the Razorbacks might end up in the postseason. We're also going to recap the Razorbacks game against Missouri with Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Scotty Bordelon, and Andrew Joseph of HologSports.com. I'm Matt Jones. Uh, let's start with Missouri, Tom. You were there. It was uh, kind of. It seems like it's just your run of the mill Arkansas game at Missouri, where it's really frustrating not quite what you think it's going to be like, you know, from a, a Razorback perspective. And it just seems like there's something about Faroe Field that when Arkansas goes there and plays, uh, they, they don't play like the team, maybe that we've seen the week before, two weeks before, anything like that. It, it's always kind of a, a first of its type deal. And and I think, you know, there've been some close losses this year. Uh, there've been some disappointments defensively, but uh, this just felt like kind of a unique game at, at Missouri and, maybe one that we've seen play out several times before up there. It's the Faroe Hex, man. Um, You know, I was thinking about that game earlier
1: today, and it's just you watch Missouri through the course of the year, and you're like, wow, you know, Arkansas will have a really good chance to beat these guys. Um, You know, then the Georgia game they played, like, oh, okay, they can be really tough at home. And I think they found some answers on defense as the season went along. And then I guess I had not seen them a whole lot since Brady Cook uh, started running more. Because he ran for uh, one something big against Tennessee in a huge loss, but his running was um, was something that was beyond my imagination that you know he would he would hurt Arkansas with that as much. But I, I look at that game overall, Missouri outgained them by a big chunk, outrushed them, um, and and I think about Arkansas' season, the the really close games, and I really feel like of the close games, I think they really should have beaten. Texas A&M, and Liberty. And I thought LSU probably, even if Arkansas had scored late, I think LSU probably was going to find a way. They uh, they were the better team. And then that Missouri was a better team on that day. And so the next time they go up there, who knows what the circumstances will look like. But I think Arkansas fans vi- view their program as being above Missouri, ahead of Missouri, should be better than Missouri. And yet they hold a pretty overwhelming advantage in this, in the series. So uh, yeah, more frustrations, more just didn't capitalize on everything. And um, it kind of is a
0: par for the course, I think for a six and six kind of a record. I don't know that Arkansas, I don't know that they feel like they're superior to Missouri. It just seems like Arkansas puts more resources into football than Missouri does. And it's so perplexing to see how they've had that struggle uh, over the course of the sec. And, uh, this makes Missouri seven and two in SEC games against Arkansas. And you throw A&M into that mix, you know, since A&M came into the mix or into the SEC, I think they're 10 and one against Arkansas. I mean, that's, that's an incredibly bad record against the last two SEC uh, additions, especially given the fact that aside from a year or two here for A&M, uh, neither of those programs have, have really been, you know, better than middle of the pack in the SEC.
1: Yeah, it speaks to the fact that Arkansas football has a ways to go and that the, the last 10 years or you know since 2012 the John L Smith interim year that Arkansas has has had sh- trouble getting up near the top. Um you got to have a great quarterback and I think KJ fits that bill but you got to be strong in both trenches, you got to have difference makers at the skill positions and and some depth. And I think we saw this year that depth was a real killer for the Razorbacks.
0: You mentioned Brady Cook. He had a big game against New Mexico State the week before. And, you know, Scotty, when we're writing our keys for this, I don't know that we paid just a whole lot of attention to the New Mexico State game because Missouri's, you know, they're they're an SEC team. New Mexico State uh, is, you know, obviously they're not. They're an independent that's kind of struggling to keep their footing uh, in FBS. Uh, I think for me, I, I looked more at what Missouri had done against other SEC teams and the fact that They'd struggled to pass the ball. Uh, they'd struggled to turn around and 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 really have a traditional run game. But the the running ability of Cook, I thought, really changed that game on Friday.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he it seemed like he he had a hundred yards on the ground like before anybody knew it. Well, he had a hundred before halftime, I think. And he was, I mean, he was the bulk of of Missouri's offense. You know, for for a good stretch of that game, you know, until they, you know, maybe they popped another run, um, you know, using a, a traditional running back, but he was, he was really good. He impressed me. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things like maybe with the, with Quincy McAdoo on the, on, on Arkansas side, like they just kind of figured out that he was talented enough to do something at a position that needed, you know, kind of a, a spark or, you know, he provided something that could, you know, give, give that unit a lift and, you you know, he just, yeah, he just kind of, he broke free, made some big throws and then um, he compromised Arkansas's defense. You know, he made some throws and then uh, he would tuck it and run and he's got pretty impressive speed. Like I was kind of surprised by the athleticism um, of Brady Cook, to be honest. I just, like you mentioned the keys, like I didn't, I honestly didn't really consider it. And that's, you know, part of the reason why we're writing about it and not coaching um, Sam knew about it um, and they still had a, a really difficult time stopping him but I just thought the keys the keys to the game were KJ Jefferson and Arkansas carrying momentum into that game from the Ole Miss game and you know establishing their run like they got that back on track against Ole Miss KJ looked pretty good um, you know throwing the ball in that game and in the first half against Missouri he looked pretty good again like well, he had a rushing touchdown and then threw for two more. And you're thinking he's – you know, they're, they're kind of humming on offense. And then the second half came, and I just don't know exactly what happened. Like, they ran close to 30 plays for less than 90 yards, I think. And it was – you know, the short yardage situations popped up again. Um, and it's just – you know, I wrote I, – I think the kicker in my – my sidebar after the game was that, you know, for an offensive line and an offense that kind of prides itself on toughness and being able to pick up, you know, key yards when needed, um, they weren't able to do that. Pretty disappointing that that was kind of the the way another game ended. And that's ultimately what, you know, six and six seasons are, are made of
3: yeah, you kind of touched it on touched on it there at the end Scotty, but I thought the most disappointing part of that loss was the play of the offensive line. and it's kind of been a trend. and as the seasons come to a close in the recent weeks, like they started out with such promise and such a high level of play, and a lot of it was made about how veteran of an offensive line it was and how much experience they had. Uh, and they played well. and I think they were grading out really highly on PFF through like the first half of the season. And then it just seemed like, the the wear and tear finally got to them and they just kind of uh wore out and i think you saw that um come and make a factor in the game against missouri they had 11 tackles for loss they ended up losing 70 yards on tackles for loss and i think if you're allowing that much penetration you're just never going to be successful wrote in that recap too that you know arkansas ran for a
2: season low in yards for the third time in four weeks And then I, you know, did some quick math after the game. And in the first two months of the season, Arkansas ran for over 900 yards and nine touchdowns, like in each month. And Arkansas ran for barely over 700 and I think four touchdowns or five touchdowns in November. That's just, yeah, that's not going to cut it. I mean, we've talked a lot about um, or Matt, you made the reference about the was it the Frank Broyles quote? You know, people remember November. I'm going to remember the way that, that Arkansas's run game just didn't didn't help itself out. You know, whatsoever. You know, late in the season. Yeah, they remember November,
0: good or bad, and I think they're going to remember bad. You know, one of the other things that Frank Borles would also say though was that the bowl game has a you know an opportunity to kind of erase the the memories of of a season. It it gives you the some momentum going into the off season. So Arkansas still got a chance maybe to to ride some momentum. Uh, based on whatever bowl game they're in. Andrew, I wanted to go back to you. You've got a little bit of unique perspective on Missouri because you grew up in St. Louis area. I know you've got some some family members who are at Mizzou. Obviously, you cover Arkansas. You went to school at the U of A. Does it surprise you to see how Missouri has, has dominated this series? And, and, and are we off base in, in saying that it feels like Arkansas puts more resources and, and, and maybe the fan base cares about the, the sport more than they do at Mizzou?
3: No, you're absolutely right, and I think that when I think of the Missouri-Arkansas rivalry or whatever they're trying to to declare the battle line rivalry, and I see all the fans talking about how it's a kind of a forced rivalry and they don't really care, well, they care at the end of the game when Missouri keeps beating Arkansas, and so I think – and for me personally, my sister goes to Mizzou. So that in-house rivalry is is a lot more competitive than apparently the rivalry on the field because I, I heard it after Arkansas's loss. Uh, but I just think that Arkansas and Missouri right now are, whether they like it or not, are in similar uh, stratospheres as programs. Uh, and I think that neither one of them would like to admit that. And then I think when you watch it as the regular season unfolds because this games played so late in the season uh, and you watch Missouri struggle for the most part of the season. And then you, you say, Oh, well, at least we'll have a free win at the end of the year. We'll get to beat up on a bad Missouri team. And then somehow they beat Arkansas and they, they just finished the season in two totally different ways with Arkansas kind of limping to the finish line and Missouri coming on strong at the end. And I just think it kind of really, Overshadows the the whole body of work that you put in in the rest of the season when you put a uh, kind of end it on a, such a poor note.
0: You know what this end of year deal reminds me of a little bit is is when Arkansas used to play LSU, and LSU's coached by Nick Saban. They're coached by Les Miles, and they're competing for conference championships and national championships. And I think they overlooked Arkansas a little bit. And you've got Houston Nutt in as the head coach and, and and Bobby Petrino in, in some of those years too. And there were so many of those years, especially when they were playing in Little Rock and, and playing at War Memorial meant so much to Houston. And, you know, he'd get his team fired up to play LSU down there. Doesn't it feel like we're seeing that a little bit, Tom, right now with Eli Drinkwitz and, and playing in Arkansas, given, you know, the, the ties that he has to the state, you heard him make the... You know, kind of the the shot at Chuck Barrett at the end of his press conference the other day. It just feels like this is something that means a whole lot to him, and 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 Arkansas is going to have to find a way to match that enthusiasm uh, that that Missouri has for this game by virtue of it, of, of it meaning something a lot to their head coach. Uh,
1: I think you make a good point there that you know Eli being from Alma and going to uh, uh, Arkansas Tech, there's a there's a spe- there's a specific meaning for him to, to beat Arkansas. Um, and, of course, they wouldn't have gone bowling if they hadn't won the game. So it, it meant a lot. I, I, I look week to week, and the teams that are in the middle and lower tiers of the SEC, you just could have put them all in a hat. I mean, Arkansas, you know, handles South Carolina well. Well, at the end of the season, South Carolina is beating Tennessee and beating Clemson. And it's just the given motivation, the given, you know, game plan, the internal drive, you know, the mojo of a team – at the in uh, in any game um it has a large bearing on the outcome and that's why i thought it was a close game it was 29-27 arkansas could have won and yet they seemed to be outmotivated by missouri by a huge extent so that's how close arkansas was to having you know a similar season to last year and if you just reverse the two games i mentioned earlier liberty um uh, liberty and a&m arkansas is 8 and 4 and it's you know, it's more along the lines of what everybody thought. So, um, you know, we we uh, we we riffed on the O line and all, and Sam made a big point to talk about getting out physical. And lo and behold, the next day, strength and conditioning coach is out, and uh, I, I don't think there I don't think there was any, you know, disguising the fact that Sam Pittman knew exactly where he was headed the next day um, as far as uh, Jam- Jamil Walker was concerned.
0: Well, and there's just been so much, so many issues this year, getting that that yard, getting those two yards when you need it, whether it be in the middle of the field, you know, you think about the the fourth downs that really kind of turned uh, the LSU game for sure. And it felt like it, it turned the Liberty game to an extent the week before that. You, re- you wrote a lot, Tom, this year on the fact, you know, they, they can't get in from the one yard line. And I was talking to someone today and, you know, it's like, how many times did Arkansas get, say, inside the five? and have a first and goal or a second and goal to go from the five and they couldn't punch it in and they either went for it and they got stonewalled on fourth down, or there was a turnover. You know, if you think about Jefferson's fumble against A&M uh, rocket Sanders had one uh, against Missouri state, uh, maybe they had to settle for a field goal. It just seemed like that was over and over and over this year. And it's, it's so antithetical to, what I think Sam Pittman wants his program to look like that, that physical dominating offensive line. They had it last year for a good part of the season. And for most of this year, you you just didn't see it.
1: Uh, That's absolutely true. And uh, every team wants to pride itself on, we got first and goal from the two or the three, we're going to hammer it in there. And what what you see though, is teams stack up their lines, their linebackers shoot to the gaps, their safeties come up and you have to be super creative. I, I, this theme was running through my head through the weekend and yet you watched Mississippi state in the egg bowl struggled. I'm excuse me. Ole miss has struggled in the red zone a lot this year. Mississippi state had one where they fumbled inside the two, the Kansas city Chiefs struggled to score in the red zone or, or in the low red zone against the Rams the other night. So um, it, it's a theme. I, multiple teams over this weekend struggled inside the five yard line and Arkansas is no exception. What does that mean? It it means if you have four downs like they did against Mississippi State, and and by the way, I can go through the menu. You had Mississippi State to the mix, BYU uh, to the mix, and then last week against Missouri. So there's been five or six occasions where they've had goal to go inside the three or four and did not come away with a touchdown. Um, You've got to be creative. I referenced on one of the podcasts we had recently, the Tennessee Titans, ran a you know looked like a Derrick Henry dive and he he pulled up and he threw a touchdown pass to a wide open Austin Hooper you got to have things like that you got to have some bootlegs and um you and you only get that one moment to get it done you know uh and and we've seen this unspool for the Razorbacks four plays in a row at Mississippi State and three plays in a row um against Missouri last week so um moving forward you know, if Kendall Brow is still on staff, they've got to be more creative. Yeah, you want to be smash mouth, but you also have to do things that gets the defense looking one way and uh, you come the other way. So um it's, it's always a work in progress, isn't
2: it? I just think there needs to be some boundaries on the creativity. You know what I mean? Like one of the times that Arkansas got stopped, you know, inside the five yard line was when they. I mean, they, I think they essentially wasted a play handing or like giving Trey Knox a, a snap from under center. And basically it's just like, would you, you'd they basically turned it into a quarterback sneak for the tight end when the tight end is not accustomed to carrying the ball inside the five yard line. And they basically told everybody that, you know, we think that this can catch them by surprise. And also, you know, you know, they may be expecting KJ Jefferson to carry it, but like, and so that was maybe the element of surprise, but it took me by surprise. I just like I just didn't understand it because Arkansas was pushing the ball down the field, and all of a sudden your tight end gets his first the first carry of of his college career in um, a big moment. You're down a couple points in the fourth quarter, um, potentially a big momentum section or segment of the game, and that's that's what one of the plays was was used on. So I don't know. I just think there's got to be some some boundaries to the creativity. I think there's obviously you can't just do the um this day and age you can't just like line it up and um unless you're like michigan or georgia and just kind of go old school turn around hand the ball off like there's got to be some element of um of of surprise and creativity to your offense but um i think there needs to be some boundaries set but i think michigan and georgia is what sam Pittman wants to be right i mean he goes and and hires a strength coach
0: from georgia uh, or you know an assistant strength coach from georgia to come in and try to Develop that identity with his program. There's a lot of thought that Kiaro Small, uh, who's working for Ben Herbert at Michigan right now, uh, you know that he might be one of those that's in the running uh, to to replace uh, Jamil Walker. So I, I think that that's the type of identity that Pittman wants. And what's interesting to me too is you're at the two, and you sandwich around that Trey Knox run a couple of passes. You've got this big, bulky, you know, quarterback who who loves to take contact, and I know he's going through some shoulder stuff right now, but but he never carries the ball in there and I thought that was kind of baffling Andrew
3: yeah I think the the inability of Arkansas's offense to get those short yarded situations whether it's goal to go or third and one fourth and one has been has been consistent all year long and I just think that that's so perplexing when this team's mo like you guys said is just to be able to play bully ball and to be able to push you back and get you off the line of scrimmage and be able to fall forward for a single yard and I think when you're in those goal to go situations like that situational football that you're choosing your best plays that you think have the most success because you're only getting four shots at it max and I think it just makes me wish that I could see what is going on in Arkansas's practices when they practice these situations because you're not going to call a tight end sneak on the three or two or three yard line in the final game of the season if you haven't tried it in practice and if it hasn't worked in practice so clearly that's something that it was successful at one point that made them feel like they could call it in a real game and I just don't know how that is happening or where that's coming from
2: something interesting I just looked up on com. Arkansas this year on fourth down running the ball 13 carries for nine yards a long of eight yards I mean that's kind of that kind of tells you a little bit about the or actually a lot a lot of bit about the the struggles there and then third down and one to three to go 35 carries for 144 yards it comes out to four yards a carry um you know but arkansas on first downs averaging over five yards a carry they're on second down close to you know close really close to five yards a carry and then third down um you know just four yards a carry and and fourth down was just you know like i just said it was uh, it was pretty abysmal when they when they needed um you know just a couple yards in those short yardage situations, I
0: feel like two players that they really missed this year were Dominic Johnson, who was their short yardage back last year. And I think they missed Blake Kern a lot from last year's team. That tight end that you can move around, you can use him as fullback, you can pull him, you can lead block with him. Uh, I thought that was a, a, a real big uh, departure from last it, year's team it, and an element that they're missing this year.
2: If I could interrupt too, like I was kind of surprised a little bit, you know, I've watched you know, I don't get to watch just a, t- a ton of games, just, you know, as we're all covering the same team. But I've seen, you know, sometimes, like, and even in the NFL, too, like, in short yardage situations, an offense will bring in, like, an additional offensive lineman. Did we see that f- from Arkansas this year? I, think, I mean, did I they you not? saw
0: it maybe once or twice with Crawford, but not very often.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, that's your sixth best offensive lineman, I think, hands down, that you'd like to – you know, if you could find a way, and those those are situations where that would be perfect place to implement it. Um, I'm just a little bit surprised that maybe we didn't see more of that, but maybe it's just, you know, Sam and the offensive staff having trust in, um, you know, KJ being able to fall forward for a couple yards, Rocket being able to do the same. And, <clears throat> you know, they <clears throat> they lauded the, you know, the, the run blocking of, of Trey Knox, but I just think that, you know, getting some more girth on the field in those short yardage spots would, you know, would have probably been beneficial maybe.
1: Uh, guys, as we're talking about this very subject, um, I was looking up Kiero Small and his Twitter page yesterday. And and yeah, by the way, he did interview Monday for that position. I know there are other candidates, but you'd think he'd, he'd be strongly in the running. But his pinned tweet on his Twitter page is uh, a deal that says, you're either the hammer or the nail. And it shows a play from the Texas
0: A&M game. It was a game-winning um, run by Broderick Green. Yeah,
1: and um, he – some linebacker or safeties right there. And, uh, Kiero small crushes the guy and it's pancake into the end zone and broader green scores. So, uh, uh, that's, that's who he wants. Um, that's what he wants his his image to be on the college football scene. And, um, who knows it may end up, uh, coming to fruition here.
0: How many, how many face masks did Kiero small break Tom? Wasn't it like in the thirties or something?
1: (laughs) It was a ton, uh, just a super aggressive player. I don't remember the number, Bob, Bob Hope might be able to help us with that one.
0: We got a lot more to cover here on the whole hog football podcast. I want to remind you that it's brought to you by Kindle King design display signage, That's Kendall That's K E N D A L K I N G.com.
1: The Kindle King group family of companies plays to win just like our hogs. We know how demanding retail marketing is today from digital omni-channel creative services through in-store signing and displays, and finally, to social influence. We've got you covered. Our KKG Inc. family of companies, Kindle King, Shop Cart Creative, and Soapbox Influence are winning with multiple retailers and brands. We play to win and will be a winning partner for all your retail marketing service needs. Go Hogs!
3: Wholehogsports.com has the largest, most experienced staff of reporters covering sports in Arkansas. Football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, and more. You'll find it at wholehogsports.com. The website includes up-to-minute news, daily commentaries, and award-winning photography from the staffs of Hogs Illustrated and the Democrat Gazette. For subscriptions, call 1-800-757-6277. That's 1-800-757-6277. Or visit us online today. Wholehogsports.com.
2: Want more coverage of
0: your home team? Download the Whole Hog Sports Video On Demand app. Check out
2: the Fan Zone and get up-to-the-minute videos, podcasts, and features on football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, and more. Search for Whole Hog Sports on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire at home and take it with you on the go by downloading it for your mobile device in your app store. The Whole Hog Sports Video On Demand app. Get it today.
1: Welcome back to the Whole Hawk Football Podcast.
0: Sam Pittman told us last week that it's going to be an eventful week for the Razorbacks in terms of players transferring out. You know, I mean, you, you, things are still evolving in terms of freedom of movement for transfers, the way that uh, name image likeness is uh, impacting teams. And, you know, it's. I think you're going to see football become a lot more like basketball is in terms of you know, a high volume of transfers at the end of every year. And and I think the coaches can kind of sense that. And, and that's what Pittman was trying to say last week to this point, and And we're recording this, this podcast on Tuesday afternoon to this point, there haven't been just a ton of notable uh, players who have put their name in the transfer portal for Arkansas. But they're doing exit interviews with players and coaches throughout this week. The portal doesn't open until next Tuesday. So that can certainly change. At this point, the most notable players who are transferring out are Miles Slusher. Uh, He did not play at Missouri. Uh, Don't know what all is going on there. But, you know, obviously he was in and out all year for for various reasons, whether it be uh, the suspension, whether it be the injuries. Uh, Malik Hornsby, who I think uh, that it became pretty obvious in, in the times that he got. Uh, snaps this year, that that he's not going to be a real effective SEC quarterback. Uh, those are probably the two most notable. But, but Tom, who are some of the others that have transferred out that have maybe caught your eye?
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I'm getting a soft in my older year. I don't like to see any of them go. But it, you understand, a lot of these are, well, we're not going to have a spot for you. And some of these are, I need to go find more playing time somewhere. It's a combination of both. And, uh, you know, Ja'Cory Turner, when there were all those injuries in the secondary and you got Trent Gordon, you got um, Kewan Parker, you got a lot of guys getting their shot. Well, Ja'Cory Turner really wasn't one of those. So maybe he didn't fit into the plans for next year. So he's out. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a handful. I mean, there are guys who late in the year, uh, you know, Javion Hunt earlier in the year, you got James Joyner who – his was a little bit disappointing timing. Um, but they were they were deep down on the depth chart at running back. So I'm sure there's going to be one or two that were like, oh, didn't see him leaving. But that's the way uh, the revolving door is going to go for every major college program pretty much. Uh, guys who are not happy with their playing time or whatever, maybe they broke up with their girlfriend, they're not happy in town anymore, they go, and then you got a fresh crop of – Youngsters coming in, filling roster spots, but you've got to be able to keep your roster buoyed up by, by veteran guys. And there's no doubt to me, Arkansas is going to have to go back in. They were very successful. You think about where they would have been this year without Drew Sanders, without Latavius Breney, without Jordan Dominic. Um, um, without Landers. Landers and, and Jaden Hazelwood. I mean, they brought in a, a Dwight McLaughlin. They brought in a significant number of veteran Landon Jackson guys who helped them. And I think we're going to see a similar inflow uh, to this year as well when everything settles down.
2: Yeah. Some of the other moves on Monday were um, Aaron Outley tied in from Parkview. I don't think he recorded a, a statistic in a couple of years that he was here. And then, you know, late last night, Tom, when I think we were, you know, getting ready to file our basketball stories from Bud Walton Arena, Jaden Hazelwood, you know, declared for the NFL draft. And I'm not exactly sure what that means for the bowl game. I would imagine that he won't play in it just to maybe get prepped for the draft. That'd Um, be my assumption. Yeah. Um, He didn't, we, there's a little bit of uncertainty though, just because it wasn't kind of cut and dry in his announcement. He didn't mention anything about the bowl game. But when a guy declares for the draft before the ball game, I would assume that that means that he's going to, you know, hyper focus on training. Um, and then today, like since we've been recording this podcast, Kari Johnson, defensive back uh, that played over 250 snaps this year, mostly between like weeks two and nine, according to what I saw in pro football focus. And then Eric Thomas, um, those he, he's a defensive end that, you know, he I think he had two tackles this year, both in the first couple weeks of the season. Um, didn't really contribute after that. Maybe aside from special teams. But um, those two guys announced on Twitter that they're gonna transfer like within four or five minutes apart. So that that's the latest that I've got. So let's
0: talk about bowl games. The, the bowl announcement is going to come out on Sunday afternoon. The way this works, if, if you know, I feel like people need a refresher on this. Every year, you've got the uh, the four-team college football playoff that's announced, usually late morning, midday, somewhere in that 11 a.m. noon time frame. Uh, the committee goes back in then, and they set the rest of the New Year's six bowls. You wait on that announcement. I think that usually comes out around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then at that point is when you start to to see all the other bowls uh, really take shape. Um, I don't know exactly what time we'll find out on Sunday, but it's usually mid-afternoon is, is when we find out uh, what bowl game that Arkansas will be playing in. We thought, and we have thought for the last few weeks, even before Arkansas was bowl eligible, that based on the number of teams that are bowl eligible to in the SEC, that Arkansas would probably fit into one of the, the conference's group of six bowls, and those are the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, the Texas Bowl, the two bowls in Tennessee, the Music City and the Liberty, and a couple of bowls down in Florida, the Relia Quest, which was formerly the Outback, and the Gator Bowl. Those are the group of six bowls. If they don't go into one of the group of six bowls, then there's also a couple of other bowls that they could potentially fall to, uh, being the Birmingham Bowl And uh, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. The Gasparilla. There we go. The Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. Tom, you have been real alert in seeing uh, representatives from the Liberty Bowl at different games for Arkansas here over the last month or so. Uh, Probably looking like if Arkansas fits into one of those group of six, uh, the Liberty Bowl might be the one. You know, it seems like Arkansas goes there about Every six, seven years, they went in 09, they went in 15. It's been seven years. And now here's potentially the opportunity for Arkansas to, you know, go back over the river and, and, and pull in a pretty good crowd for a game against the big 12 team.
1: Yeah. Harold graders and I, uh, he's a assistant executive director. Uh, we've been buddies for a long time and they, they've no doubt followed Arkansas very closely. They were at the game at, at Missouri the other night. Uh, they were there to w- watch Arkansas so um if it gets to be their chance to select, I think they will pick the Razorbacks if they're available. Um when you look at the teams that are above Arkansas, I think I think it's going to come down to uh to a Liberty Bowl. I'm not sure what the Vegas Bowl has in mind. I think they might have been scheduled a seat uh at one of the games so far this year. I'm not sure if the rep was there, but it seems to me Liberty Bowl's courting Arkansas and Arkansas might have liked to go to Vegas, but I'm not sure if um if, if they would make that selection, so we'll see. I would think it's between those two and maybe the Texas Bowl. I'm not sure about Gasparilla and the the, the two Tennessee bowls, um, but I think if if it comes to Liberty selection, the the
0: Razorbacks will be going to Memphis again. Well, and you know, the Las Vegas Bowl is at such a unique time on the calendar. It's December 17th, and so it's actually the weekend I think before the early signing period. And Sam Pittman was talking earlier this week about how that might affect the coaches in terms of, of getting ready for the signing period, you know, it'll take coaches off the road. It'll have to send them out to Las Vegas to, you know, be coaching in that game, obviously. And, you know, so I guess there's some, there's some give and take there with the Las Vegas bowl. It's uh you play it and obviously in a destination city, you play it in a destination stadium, the NFL stadium where the Raiders play. Uh, but it's a quick turnaround. You've got less than two weeks to uh, prepare for your opponent Uh, I don't even know if you can jam pack 15 practices, uh, into the the time between when the bowl is announced and, and when it's played, I I don't think you can, because there's, there's less than 15 days there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Sam did mention there would be challenges to that one that would, uh, maybe impact recruiting a little bit, but then you're also through faster. So I don't know. There's going to be give and take to whatever bowl they play, kickoff times, uh, practice schedules and the whole deal but yeah it, i would doubt they could get in 15 because you have to have a an off day per week
0: i wonder if you get to practice after the bowl game i wonder how that works when you've got such a short turnaround uh between the bowl and, and when it's played hey if arkansas goes to the liberty bowl by the way just kind of looking through the big 12 selection process uh, the liberty bowl is is kind of further down in the pecking order in the big 12 it's it's behind. Um, oh gosh, it's behind the Alamo Bowl. It's uh, I don't know what they call it anymore. It's it's that other bowl that's played in Orlando about a week before you know, the Citrus Bowl is played there. But uh, I think you're probably looking at one of the Big 12 six and six teams going to Memphis, and so uh, those six and six teams this year are OU, Baylor, and Kansas. I think uh, especially an OU standpoint, uh, that would be a, a matchup between a couple of six and six teams that. Yeah, they they would fill Memphis up between Arkansas and Oklahoma. Uh
1: yeah, I think that would be an attractive pairing for somewhat dis disappointed fan bases for sure and future conference opponents. Uh, I've seen projections of Arkansas v. Baylor and uh saw one for Arkansas versus Oklahoma State in the um in the Texas bowl as well. Yeah. So a lot of options still out there, but oh my gosh, USA just scored a goal. Awesome. Way to go, USA. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I did, I was looking at some bowl projections. You know, right before I hopped right before we hopped on here. And the two that I looked at, I think it was maybe CBS Sports or um uh, 24-7 sports and then Athlon. I think they both had Arkansas and Oklahoma in the Texas bowl. I think that's interesting. Um, just from a geographical standpoint, it's a, you know, it's a point that, you know, both fan bases could get to really, what, really easily think the turnouts would be, would be good. Cause both teams, both fan bases have had really, you know, irritating, frustrating roller coaster type seasons. And, you know, they probably would like to be there if, you know, they close the season on a, on somewhat of a high note in a, in a bowl game. Um, I think it, it would be even more interesting if Hazelwood was going to hang around for that game, um. I think that was that was probably that was the storyline. I think if those two teams were to were to play with with Hazelwood still on Arkansas's roster, um, and, and also that you know there's just the there's the expansion storyline, and like hey, this is what um, this is what you know a, a maybe a Saturday in in October or November could look like in in a couple of years. I don't have any doubt that our, the ESPN's broadcast crews would have any any trouble talking about that.
0: One other thing about bowl games that I always stick into consideration: two things. And, and Scotty, you mentioned on the, you know, the geographical standpoint, but also just a, an historical standpoint. When have Arkansas played in these bowl games? How recently has it been? Or do they ever go there very often at all? And like the Music City, they haven't been to the Music City Bowl in 20 years. Uh, they haven't been to the Gator Bowl in over 40 years. They went to Tampa last year, which makes you think that that's uh, maybe out of the, you know, out of the question. Las Vegas, it's been over 20 years since they played there. But then again, the, the Las Vegas hasn't had an affiliation with the SEC until this year. Uh, the Houston Bowl, they were supposed to go there two years ago, where the Texas Bowl in Houston uh, played TCU. That game, of course, got canceled due to COVID. And then, uh, you know, we mentioned the, the times that they've gone to the Liberty Bowl. I'm probably going to make a lot of people upset when I say this, make them spit out their coffee. But the Liberty Bowl almost feels to me like what the Cotton Bowl was 15 years ago in that it's this regional bowl game where you know you're going to you know overwhelm you know the the attendance relative to the other team that's there arkansas can't get to the cotton bowl anymore or it would have to take you know just kind of you know the perfect alignment of stars to get into the cotton bowl uh, because of the way that it's paired up with the new year six obviously it's part of the college football playoff getting to the cotton bowl is not as accessible as it was 10 years ago and so now even though you know the, the liberty bowl stadium obviously is is you know, it's it's not a destination stadium. It is being renovated, and it'll be renovated by the time Arkansas goes over to play Memphis there in 2025. But it almost feels like, you know, just from the the standpoint, uh, a geographical standpoint, that the Liberty Bowl is is become what the Cotton Bowl used to be. And you know, the Cotton Bowl loved having Arkansas down there because it knew Arkansas was going to bring fans down. Uh, I have a feeling the people at the Liberty Bowl have have a same opinion of Arkansas given what the stands looked like against East Carolina in 09 and given what they looked like against Kansas State seven years ago? Yeah, I just think that's,
1: that's the best bet probably for relatively strong attendance. We know the Liberty Bowl likes the Razorbacks and I, I think some folks will take some time out between Christmas and New Year's and and head head over to Memphis. Um, For how many days? Not positive, but uh, I think it's maybe the best bet for a representative selection of fans to get there.
0: Yeah, I said this on the podcast last week. It almost feels to me like the old War Memorial games, you know, where people can you know get in their car in, in East and South of Arkansas and go over and and make a day trip to a football game over in Memphis and and have you know a, a better opportunity to see the team in person than maybe they would by driving all the way over here to Fayetteville. So we'll see. Sunday afternoon is when the bowl announcements will be made. We'll have plenty of coverage about that on WholeHogSports.com. Hope you'll join us. Also, hope you'll come to the website to get all of our basketball coverage. Uh, Scotty, Tom, Andrew, Bob Holt, myself—we've—we've we've all, you know, we're covering basketball. Uh, kind of turning our focus toward that quite a bit now. Uh, the Razorbacks eleventh in the AP poll this week. We'll have another basketball podcast of Mid America this week, leading up to the Razorbacks game this weekend. For Tom Murphy, Scotty Bordelon, and Andrew Joseph, I'm Matt Jones. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you next week on the Whole Hog Football Podcast. The proceeding has been a production of wholehogsports.com. Look for our latest podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast store. And visit us anytime at wholehogsports.com for the latest news and commentary.